listening to Unraveled, the Adverb Podcast. Welcome to Unraveled, the Artwork Podcast. My name is Bernard Vienna, independent curator and director of Artwork Geneva. And as usual, I'm co-hosting this installment from Berlin with the writer Philip Indal. On Unraveled, we deal with art and its resonance with contemporary social and environmental debates. Our purpose is to bring key figures of the art scene closer to you. And in this Unraveled episode, we interview the critically acclaimed artist Enrique Norman. For images, visit our website or follow us on Instagram. At a time when few people spoke about right-wing violence, it was already on Henrike Naumann's mind. The artist reacted directly to current events, the resurgence of nationalist violence and the discovery of the terrorist underground network NSU. She combines second-hand furniture from the 80s and 90s and makes videos, which she integrates in her immersive installations. They tell stories of old and new fascism, as well as of youth cultures during globalization. Only a few days after the terror attack in the German city of Hanau, and with the right on the rise in German parliaments, we visited her studio on the outskirts of Berlin Neukölln where we met her for coffee. We talked about the mediation of history via art, the allegorical power of furniture, bad taste and bad politics. It's like 2019 was kind of your year. Uh, your work was presented in Institutional Solutions and it has been bought by major collections, but It was also the year of the, the extremist riots in Chemnitz and right-wing right terror, all accompanied by the rise of aggressive far-right politicians. Uh, do you see your work as a reaction to the time we live in? Yes, I would say that the times we live in or the problems we're facing were always, for me, a reason to do art because it was in the beginning more a way of dealing with problems I had with our time or society or what was happening politically around me. So while I was still studying and um, my, my path was a bit um, wavy, so I, I started with theater, um, did stage and costume design, then studied scenography uh, for film and then ended up my diploma being a video installation and with this work inhabiting the art space for the first time or the, the art context and then the tools I, I learned while studying like um, working with materials, with furniture, with interiors, with giving an aesthetic to a certain concept or story or, or script. It was when the political situation put me in a stress situation that I thought maybe I can use those tools to work through that and to find a way how I will be able to deal with things and then maybe also to produce something that allows for for discussion on on other levels that were there before 
I think in the in the beginning of my 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 practice, like in 2012, when I did my first video installation, I think I saw myself quite of a, as a loner as an artist because I saw my topic as a very specific one. Like I'm I'm researching on right wing radicalization in Saxony in East Germany and the history of um, right wing terrorism in this area. So very specific. So of course. At that time, there wasn't a big group of other works pro being produced or even text being written because it was all just like being seen as a as a problem. Like with the with in 2011, with the um, National Socialist Underground being uh, get gotten to be known, um, that were living in my hometown of Zwickau, where I was staying in in the day when when one of the terrorists burned down the house. I was just one kilometer away, and this was for me like a, like a bomb exploding also within myself where I felt okay I'm everything is in shambles and I need to find a way to put things back together so things might make sense again so but in the in in the first years of my practice and my doing me doing exhibitions I was I always felt a bit alone with my position or with my way of dealing very also drastically with very concrete problems and um, where where I also felt but over the years I uh, also, as I got to know more artists, curators, also a better understanding of art history in general, I could see myself also in broader contexts. And, and very importantly, um, after working with um, Bonaventure and Dikung and Savi Contemporary for the first time, this is what really was like um, like a light bulb going on, on um, because uh, like a I don't know, awakening of, of seeing, no, I'm not just working on this very specific topic by myself, but it's embedded in a hundred year long history of racism in Germany and of col colonialism that my my work on the specific terror cell is also linked to the Congo conference in Berlin, for example. And, and this understanding of the context also, I think, made me keep on working. And even though, because because working with topics like this can be very depressing at times because because of course I'm I'm an artist and I love working so for me the artistic process is a very is something that that is very dear to me and also gives me joy but then at the same time the works I'm producing sometimes make me very sad and depressed because I'm trying to find shapes for some for things that scare me installations was that I, I got this uncanny feeling of recognition you know almost like a, a from this uh, sort of Memphis derived furniture I get this almost nostalgic feeling do you feel the same yeah for me it's a lot about nostalgia because it's or, or maybe not so much nostalgia because I I like to evoke nostalgia while at the same time destroying it in the next moment so there's always like um, moments where you find like I think everybody coming to a big installation of me will find something they know from their past so or something that resembles something that they have a memory of and and so there's this element of ah yes it's maybe part also of my history but then the next moment it gets 
messed up because I combine it with with very disturbing polit political messages or with the try to use very innocent, maybe maybe cozy things in a way that they make you feel cold. So it's this um, this nostalgia that I always destroy also for myself because for me my memory of things. So my 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 memory is very much based on things. I think this this is also why I like or need objects so much because um, for me objects are a way to really remember something for sure because they will like if I have this fluffy um, uh, cushion that you're sitting next to uh, this is here and it will not go away so easily so as long as we are here and maybe also the next week it will always be here and if I connected with a certain memory or a certain meaning that it has for me I know that this memory will always be there and bringing it now to to my work um, putting these objects and furniture in the space is for me a way to put a thought I have or a theory or something I I'm understanding through my research in a physical space so I can go back to it and I can also put several complicated thoughts that for me with words are impossible to explain. I can put all these complex and sometimes even contradictory um, thoughts in one room. What I try to do in my work when I'm dealing with an ideology is to try to get into the mindset of a person that has a certain ideology or is radicalized in a certain way. And out of this perspective, I then try to produce an artwork. So I'm interested in things where ideology and art or aesthetics meet in a way that there's an artistic production out of an ideolo ideological position. So, for example, with my work um, Das Reich, which I did in 2017 about the so-called Reichsbürger that believe that the German Reich still exists, I found images uh, in the internet of one of the guys who was um, constructing a Stonehenge or wanting to construct a Stonehenge as a uh, in a southern German town as a way to have a like a spiritual place um, and and he made drawings, built a model, and really thought of the aesthetic of this. And so for me, in in the work I did, I did the same, but with furniture. So I created a Stonehenge out of furniture but really using all the techniques that he had planned. So for me, dealing with an ideology is, is trying to understand the aesthetic, the, the aesthetic decisions, and then making them myself in the work. So it's, of course, very again, a very intense process because I really try to get into the mindset and then work artistically out of that position. mindset of those people, you analyze first their aesthetic, unlike the aesthetics they are surrounded with. And that is like, can we say that it's like that, that you connect this aesthetic and this politic? Yeah, in the end I try to do an artistic production out of 
an ideological perspective that I don't share. So I try to immerse myself in a different reality and out of this try to produce works myself. That in this sense, I don't know if they are actually produced by myself now thinking about it because it's a very <laughs> complex um, brain fuck. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's about trying to become one with this aesthetic because I because I feel as an artist and as someone who's thinking about aesthetic non-stop for me I want to be able to deal with aesthetics and also with ideologies that are problematic because I feel we need to tackle that those topics and for me as an artist I need to allow myself to work with the aesthetics because if I'm afraid of the aesthetics how could I deal with the people or with the ideology um, they are um, putting forward so so the aesthetic is my language and I feel I, I feel I, as an artist I need to be able to address the aesthetic questions that are put out by people from different ide ideologies. I think the most complex work on this I did now in Munich at Haus der Kunst, um, the work Ruinwert, where I was trying to yeah find out more about the the furniture aesthetic of the Third Reich and and especially about the the Atelier Trost who built the Haus der Kunst where the exhibition is taking place still at the end of March still and specifically Gerdi Trost who was the interior designer of Hitler and also designing the furniture for the buildings for example about the architecture of the Third Reich there was a lot of text works like it was discussed a lot I think and analyzed a lot but the interior design not so much so I thought it would be interesting to look at this and so also what what role the aesthetic and the design space the designed interior designs had in the propaganda of the Third Reich and how a woman like Gerdi Trost was able to create a yeah, very soft um, surface for something very brutal. And, and so for this uh, specific installation, where did you find the furniture? Yes, the furniture, and this for me was very exciting and disturbing at the same time. Uh, I found in the basement of Haus der Kunst, so the, the, the archive, the furniture archive of the Haus der Kunst in the basement, they have all the furniture from 1937, 38, and I, I could use it for the work a bit Like like I work with furniture I find in secondhand stores or on, on Kleinanzeigen. Now my I could also use the furniture from Haus der Kunst for the installation. So this, to me, opened a lot of very interesting questions because what I do in my work, where I mostly use postmodern copies from the 80s, 90s, from the time of the unification in Germany... I use a certain aesthetic that, yeah, depending on how you look at it, could be called very East or also very West because uh, it all came from the West. So it's a very, uh, I like to have, yeah, in my work, I like to do things that for, on first sight seem very simple, but then the more you look at it or speak about it, it gets more complex. So so what I do with these, with these furnitures is, is to take them and say, okay, it's like the leftovers a bit of the 90s or whatever and... But I take them and I put them in a prominent space or in a museum and say, we need to look at it again, we need to revisit it. And um, they have something to say about us, about our society, about politics, about ideology, about what it means, for example, to become part of the West, to uh, arrive in a neoliberal system. And so I charge them with a lot of political um, meaning. 
while the furniture from Third Reich that is still in Haus der Kunst in the archive, they are charged by themselves very much. So they are. Um, so everybody would agree that when we take this this sofa that was I don't know designed for an office or something or, or for for the official venue, a lot of people would agree that this there must be something charged or something must be wrong. I think the, what what was so interesting for me to work with the furniture of the Third Reich was the way ideology is projected on things, and and I work with that a lot in my dealing with the transformation of East and West Germany and those questions of consumerism and becoming part of a neoliberal society. But for the topics um, that I work with, with my postmodern furniture, sometimes it feels a bit like I'm enforcing this meaning and putting it out for discussion. While the furniture of the Third Reich, it seems like it, like it comes already with a lot of projection and baggage and a lot of interpretation and, and even a bit of like a sensationalist longing to look at these furniture pieces and find answers to very complex political and historical questions. So then... It's really hard then to take it back and really look at the design. And I think in a way this is what I was trying to do there by combining the postmodern furniture I find on Kleinanzeigen that I used from Munich area and brought to Haus der Kunst, combining it with these very charged furniture from Third Reich, from the basement of Haus der Kunst, really um, put both furniture types, I would say, in this very intense situation of, yeah, like um, a bit like there's electricity happening or there's this weird chemistry of time and space. And at the same time, I'm, I'm inviting the visitors to start to look at the furniture in a very different way because when you're in this big room and there's a lot of furniture and you know some pieces are from the Third Reich and um, were selected by Adolf Hitler together with Gerdi Trost, you start to look at all furniture in a very different way because you think, ah, who... Who is it or where where are the problematic pieces? And then suddenly, like all the furniture there, every little object, they all lose their innocence in a way or they cannot be just a chair anymore. furniture, not in the case uh, of uh, now Aus der Kunst, but uh, in the, let's say, uh, uh, habitual processes, and you are going directly to pick them up uh, at the place of their owner. Often they are uh, from different ideologies than yours. So how far do you, do you take this moment as part of the artwork? Yeah, for me, the, the picking up of the furniture is crucial because it's really the chance to speak to the person that owned this sometimes very weird thing up until this moment. So it's a very, very interesting situation and a chance to ask questions or hear the story, why it was such a loved piece that stayed there for so long or why it was so hated but could not be taken down because it was too heavy or like, yeah, it's a, it's a good moment to get context to the physical objects. 
but also it's a chance for me to invite the owners to the exhibition. So when I'm there picking up stuff and say, yeah, it will be part of an artwork shown there and there and you're invited. And then it's usually like, oh, okay. Um, and what is it about? And then, and then I get <laughs> in trouble because then it's like a bit like the first test for the concept of the show or the work because I'm explaining it with um, maybe a chair in my hands, sending it home and um, saying, yeah, actually this chair will be part about work about the Reichsburger or some complicated topic where the people then look at the chair again and are like, hmm, what do you see there that I'm not seeing? It's the first mediation of the work, even though it's not existing yet, because um, my works need to make sense to a lot of different people with a lot of different experiences. So for me, this is really a big motivation to do works that not speak just to a circle of insiders, but really to, to create work that can reach people that have very different experiences, very different education, very different access to art also, or generally to cultural life. And so, um, so those are all the small um, tests for the work. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like in the process of your work or in finished work you have such a great regard for surfaces such an interest in surface because on the one hand literally you work on on the pieces right you restore them and um, in a figurative sense you like sort of create those political well almost allegories or landscapes of allegory and um, I was wondering how you see the relation between something superficial like taste and politics how does that influence each other Yeah, I think taste for me is a good door opener to speaking about a lot of things because taste is something that is very hard to explain or also to to defend because it's basically in the end it could just be taste that you like something more than something else. So yeah, that you find something ugly, but a lot of times it's also structured by your pasts and upbringing and, and experiences and traumas <laughs> related to certain designs and so uh, yeah taste is a very complex thing and also very dividing so while triggering those emotions of taste of discomfort of joy of hate about very simple objects I I like to link it with questions of political opinion because the same way we, we might look at the same chair and see something very different. I feel in in the in the definition of political opinion, looking at the same arg argument from two, two different perspectives and experiences might lead to very different conclusions. So if I would like to speak to someone who, is, who has a certain political belief system that is closed and I want to break it open and say, yeah, but why don't you look at this? Um, doesn't that change your perspective on this topic? But in a closed political mindset, the argument that for me would maybe dismantle some of the thoughts for the other person might stabilize, stabilize them even more because it's a proof that they are right so and that uh, the media is lying or stuff like this. Yeah, and because maybe because as a child I was already experiencing very different political opinions around me in the area where I grew up, where as a child visiting 
several neighborhoods of my friends or their their parents. Like I was navigating through very different political belief systems casually. You were part of a group show at KOV, um, which which were reacting directly like to, to the event in, in Chemnitz. Um, do you think that uh, as well uh, through this private gallery system there is a possibility to move the society, like the society in broad, broad way, broad sense? Speaking for myself as an artist and also um, my gallery and also other the other artists working at the gallery, I think I can speak for us all saying this is why we get up in the morning and go to the studio or to the gallery because we believe that this is possible. But it's it's a challenge and um, because yeah, of course sometimes sometimes you're wondering like what is it enough that we can do? What what can we actually do? And what's also what could be maybe problematic about um, being the voices that that speak so much about the problems we have and um, yeah of course shedding lights on that again and again and it's um, but but what I'm realizing is how much we we are really able to move discourses there are moments where where I feel very powerless in that sense because especially a lot of things that are happening happening in Germany right now are things I'm thinking about since 10 years and also already like a long time ago was sure they would happen at some point, especially with the AfD as a political player in the German political landscape. So what more can I do than my work when then everything I can just watch happening? So, so there are moments where I feel like, okay, am I in a way just giving the aesthetic to a slow... Um, decay or I don't know it's really sometimes really really harsh to think about that um, that a lot of the things I was speaking about eight years ago are now just in full blossom and um, like <laughs> what else could we should we have done but the the way works can maybe and experience and exhibitions can can maybe shape and change the way people are looking at things that they thought they understood or knew about and then it's it changes and also in a in a more broader sense in a way that I'm now I don't know doing interviews and can say what I think about certain topics and with that also uh, contribute to the discourse that is happening around so it's a, it's a, it's a bit in between between feeling um, very grateful that the things um, that are on my mind right now I can say and they are being heard but at the same time this also often feels like um, not enough. that are also um, doing shows in the West. I always have to remind people that we're not just looking at the East, but we're looking at a shared complicated history and that the objects speak about a lot of different experience, experiences that you can have in German society. 
or in other societies as well. Like, for example, when the work was shown in Korea 2018 at the Busan Biennale, for me, there was a very stressful moment because I was unsure how this very German reference systems, topics, how they would interest someone who maybe does not know, does not care. And it's very, like, like when all the... The, the references are so so very precisely put to a certain time and context. How do they travel to different audiences and discourse? And for me, the exhibition in Korea was really magnificent in that sense because it was the way the Korean audience was very, very interested, of course, because of the topic of the division of Germany and Korea, but also the way the visitors were working their way through the works and through all the aesthetics and reference systems Of course, just reading them the way they wanted to, but still enjoying the work and reading or getting something out of it. That is, of course, then beyond my control because I cannot stand next to the work and explain every little um, footnote of <laughs> German history in the 90s. But, but yeah, I, I have to let go and have an audience with a different um, history and experience work their way through my work. And yeah, that's a very exciting thing. I thought when I was reading also international uh, press about your work, it's really it's almost tiresome how, may, how much people try to explain the context and everything and try to recreate this context for like an international readership, whereas perhaps it's sufficient to just see it. Yes, I think this is the, the big thing because it's like the moment I start speaking about my work, I think, ah, oh, shit, it sounds so bad because it's really hard to describe what happens inside this works, how they work and how they are also, even though they, they have very drastic, I don't know, propositions or moments, they can still be very subtle and very based on interpretation and reflections. But how do you put this in word? And whenever I, I, I speak about my work, I always feel like I'm, I'm disabling myself because I feel like, ah, it's there. We, we should just go there now and we can see. So for me, this was also now a decision to make sure that people see the work and then we can talk. <laughs> but, but for you, like if you were a magician, so to say, like what would be like the ideal mediation Yeah, so, okay, this sound, doesn't sound so magic, very basic. So for me, the text is very important. So so for me, setting together a work or an exhibition, like the text and the way, the information that people get um, is very important. And so I always organize events within the exhibitions. For example, for the Riga Biennale, I did a work um, about Ero Remons, which is the European style that could be translated as um, European renovation. That, that was done after the end of the Soviet Union, where a lot of people were renovating their homes with the new materials and were lowering their ceiling and putting on wallpaper and um, plastic floor and, and And I did a work about this European renovation. And for example, there in Riga, within the installation, I invited a very well-known um, Latvian um, author who wrote a book about Ero Remons to do a reading in Latvian within the exhibition. And this reading we advertised on the Latvian equivalent of eBay Kleinanzeigen, like eBay. Uh, so, so we took pictures of the installation, put them on this page, ss.lv. So we advertised it as a viewing of a flat with pictures of the installation. So trying to find 
interesting ways of how to reach a broader audience and always to think about okay what is a local interesting author or musician that could could do something within mm -hmm. the work that would bring a different audience there and of course um, guided tours for me and, and and generally the the way my work is mediated for me is very important so whenever I do an exhibition I take a lot of time to speak to the people that will mediate my work so they understand and they also yeah know how what what I find interesting or important to speak about and what maybe not so much yeah but it's a lot I think it's a lot about like when when people come to my installation for the first time it's it's usually that people have a lot of associations by themselves and a lot of stuff to say because there's a lot of things to speak about and also a lot of things that people are not so shy to speak about because it's 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 furniture someone that everybody has and shares and thinks about or has a certain taste for and I think what I like is first speaking about those personal memories and about the thoughts and the feelings these objects evoke and then from that it's an easy way to speaking about what the associations are and what what people make out of the concept in the space yeah. not very magical I'm sorry <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. This was Unraveled, the Advec podcast. The show is hosted by Bernard Vienna, Philippe Henda, and Nina Kettiger, myself. It is produced by Advec. Our theme song and jingle were produced by artist and musician Laura Katzawa. You can find all images of the works and informations discussed in this episode on our page www.r-verc.ch If you would like to advertise or sponsor one episode, please write at contact at art-vec.ch.